You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of smallacrehunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Small Lager Hunting Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about something that the title may have caught you off guard. Maybe it sounds a little funny, you know, as a land habitat manager, spring is where a lot of plans come together. A lot of plans are made. This is one of the busiest times for anybody who's seeking to create a deer mecca, a place where deer feel safe. You know, springtime is where you're going to do a lot of your hinge cutting before spring green up and even after. It's where you can sculpt and get everything done. It's where you're establishing maybe switchgrass or planning future food plots and things of that nature. So why the title Frustrations of Spring? We're going to discuss four big reasons why spring, at least for myself, is extremely frustrating. Some of them are a little tongue-in-cheek. Some of them are very serious. Some of them might not seem obvious, and a few of them will. But I'm sure you can at least relate to all four to some extent, especially if you own your own property, because one of them does... Impact probably those of you out there that are like myself where you own property. So let's get started. Number one, the number one reason, and these are in no particular order, but the number one reason why spring just adds frustration, mushroom season. I'm sure some of you out there are probably like, well, why why is that frustrating, Ty? I I don't understand. Well, if you own property... And mushrooms are known to be on your place. I guarantee you this is when you suffer and deal with trespassing more than any other time of the year. It is insane how much foot traffic my place gets. In 2017 alone, I think it was 2017, I have to look back at the uh, police reports. I had to have a police officer visit five different people due to trespassing issues. And I've continued to have issues. So let's talk about one thing, a few things actually. So many of you were blessed, and those of you in Indiana now just last year found out that we joined the ranks of people who can post their private property by using purple paint. Uh, Purple paint law, just look it up, Google it, see if your state qualifies. It is an amazing way to mark your property lines. Now, there's some factors in it, you know, like in Indiana. um, Don't quote me on it, but I do know it has to be of a certain size, the section that you paint. It has to be between a certain height. I think it's three to five or three to six feet. That's the area that you paint trees, posts, um, things of that nature. And it is the equivalent of marking your property with no trespassing signs because the issue that... Again, if you're a landowner, an issue that all of us experience and is the reason why the purple paint law exists is because those signs that we hang up get torn down. And 
no doubt that's because people want to be able to claim negligence. They want to be able to claim naivety. They want to be able to claim and justify their trespassing as being innocent. Personally speaking, there is there's nothing that will get my blood boiling quicker than the intentional trespassing. I understand. Your dog got loose. Maybe you needed to recover it. I understand. Maybe you had permission to mushroom hunt the property next to mine and the owner neglected to tell you where the property line was. That one's a little bit of a gray area because I'm sorry if you're over the age of, I don't know, maybe 12 or if you own a smartphone, you can look up property lines. You can know your property and where it ends and where it begins. Intentional trespassing, there's no there's no place for it and it's it's frustrating. So mushroom season brings a lot of frustration for landowners. Um make sure you are posting your property, make sure you're using the purple paint law if it is applicable in your area, but one final tip before we move on to number 2 is a living hinge cut border. There are times where maybe you just got bad neighbors. You've tried you know, I'm a big advocate of always trying to be and have the best neighbors possible. Explain to them why you don't want them on your property. Breach a conversation with them. Hopefully they respect it. But if they don't, you know what? A hinge cut fence row makes good neighbors. It makes it difficult to trespass. If any of you follow Small Eager Hunting, you'll actually see that I did that. If you follow Small Eager Hunting on Facebook, that is... You probably saw me post a picture. I'm kind of laying down underneath some hinge cuts and such. And I, I kid you not, I had to crawl on my hands and knees with a chainsaw and some tools and such after I took that picture because I had boxed myself in entirely. And that's a fence row along a property border of a, of a property that we have permission to do those things on. And we've had numerous trespassing issues. So went ahead and did it. Because you know what? We're sick of it. We're over it. Um even in discussing with some neighboring landowners, everybody's just sick of everybody thinking that other people's property is their own. So reason number one, or factor number one in the frustrations of spring. Number two, oh boy, food plot pro staff season is in full force. If you spent any kind of time on social media, on Facebook, on forums. Whew. Man, there are just a lot, a lot of people out there that have the best product, the best food plot seed known to man. I mean, you, you'd swear that these are like the magic beans that grow the beanstalk that go up through the clouds, and, and you know, we're going to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow as well while, when we plant these things. It, it, it's without fail. Every single year, your pro staff people want to grace the Facebook worlds, the social media worlds, the forums with their extremely shallow and no depth to it knowledge. Oh boy. Ignore them. Anytime you hear a pro staff member say, use XY product, because it's the best thing ever, or, you know, things like that, research it. 
don't don't take their word for it. Oftentimes, a lot of those people, if you start asking them why, they really don't have an answer of substantial meaning. You know, you you, you could ask them, okay, why why do you, why should I use that product? Mega buck in the shady spot in the forest. I just made up a name. You know, anything, just whatever. There's so many clever names and things now these days. But you ask them why. Why is that product so great? Or or why is that company so great? Oh man, and you'll get answers like, well, the the owner really the owner really cares about his product. He cares about the hunters. The customer service is great. Which don't get me wrong, customer service is crucial to a good company. But you know, you'll hear things like that. Well, that doesn't actually explain why. Or you, or you'll hear answers. Well, I had really good success. Or man, look at the buck that so and so shot over it last year. Or I shot this buck on this food. Blah 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 blah. Again, none of that actually explains their food plot. Or you know, ask them what is in it. Okay, that's that's great. But but what mixes it? I, I'm looking for this to be a clover plot. And and so and so over here is recommending a plot that's rich. That's just full of brassicas or maybe cereal grains. But but because they're they get a ten percent discount from XY product XY products exclusive blend secret spot or something like that is 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 what they're gonna just tell everybody and anybody to to plant even though they don't really have a substantial reason why it's it's absurd and it's ridiculous and to be honest with you pro staffs have eroded the social media world the hunting forums it, it's just eroded the integrity of it in my opinion you know it's hilarious how so many people like they view it as an employment when really somebody's just giving you a discount in return for free advertising they're still making money on you you know it and oftentimes a lot of these people the second they lose that pro staff if another company offers them a pro staff next thing you know they were with scent product y last year well scent product y no longer is doing a pro staff member thing, or they discount them uh, less, and then, oh, Scent Product X is now offering 25% off, and now that same person that touted the old product is now touting that one this year, but it's just frustrating. little vent session, little tongue-in-cheek moment here. The next two, I promise, will be a little bit more substantial for those of you guys listening for habitat reasons. So that was number two. Number three... Let's delve into food plots more specifically. And that is one of the frustrating things of, of the springtime or planning into the spring, you know, late winter. And that for me is planning what do I want out of my food plots for the year? What, what, are, what decisions? What am I going to plant in various spots? And that means spring and fall. You know, what do I want my property a to be delivering to the deer in the summer what do i want to it to be what do i want my other property b to be what do, what do i what do i want the deer to have on my properties and you know i'm going through this a little bit right now in the new 22 in that i've always had a great uh summertime spot for bucks they love to summer on my place and you know, I, I've tried soybeans in the past, and they just get the reason why I mentioned the buck summering on my property is I have an awesome, dense, very security rich uh, property layout. There's not a large agricultural destination food source. 
There's not the, you know, the big restaurants that, that the Doe family groups really grav- gravitate to in the summer months. So I'm kind of on the fringes of that. You know, they're, they're close. They're a quarter mile away, half a mile away, um, you know, and the does are, are typically not as heavy on my place. Now, I have really good fawning um, habitat, so every now and then I'll get a doe or, or two, you know, the smaller doe groups, to, the kind of like the secondary doe groups in the area, maybe that one doe with its last year's fawn that got kicked out of the big group because it just couldn't get along or something like that. But I rarely have the the large five, six, seven, eight, you know, doe number group doe families kind of latch onto it. And I think a lot of that is because I don't have the large destination food sources. I have a ton of food, but I don't have the sweet, you know, soybeans or that huge lush alfalfa field. But what I do have is daytime cover with feeding mixed in everywhere and water. It is the best place for bucks because they don't care if they can't get up and have a mouthful of soybeans during the middle of the day they want to be safe they'll get up and go get a mouthful of my clover chicory they'll get up and browse on all the early successional growth the herbaceous vegetation the browse the native food sources that i'm planting in the future the soft mass trees from the apples um, and the pears and uh chestnuts and the acorns that are planted as well and all the hinge cut trees you know all those invasive pear trees i love hinging those things because the deer just annihilate them just annihilate them and i don't want them to take over the property so if the deer kill them that's great but i have a tremendous amount of food so the planning of what i want my properties to be right now in the new 22 i'm not really thinking i'm going to try to go soybeans i'm not i don't want to be even considered a spot that deer want to spend their days, their months, during the summer months at. I want to be a buck hotbed. I want to have the does then come to my property in the fall, which in turn may cause more of those bucks to stay. So uh, this year I'm actually experimenting with possibly the plan right now is to just till the old food plots in, uh, maybe go to a little bit more clover, so I might be transitioning a couple spots into cereal grains this fall with some clover mixed in and then uh, frost seeding more clover into that. And that's actually a sneak peek of the final discussion of this podcast, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. But then there's other spots on the new 22 where I'm thinking about just disking it lightly, disturbing the soil, disrupting it, throwing some buckwheat down and walking away. And, and not worrying about the broadleaf weeds. I'm going to get a lot of ragweed, most likely. Goldenrod, pokeweed, who knows? A lot of those native seed weed seeds, I'm going to use in quotes, but you can't see it, obviously, because it's a podcast, so that was kind of pointless. But the deer are going to eat those. They are an awesome source of protein. Um, I'm actually, let me grab it. I always forget the name of it, but there's a there's a book that I recommend every single habitat manager get a hold of, and that is A Guide to Wildlife Food Plots and Early Successional Plants, and it's by Dr. Craig Harper. Um, just a wealth of knowledge. This book is amazing. There, the, it, it even breaks down what the crude protein is of certain plants, the ADF of certain plants. I mean, it's just... It, it's an amazing source of knowledge. And you know what? Those things that I listed, like ragweed and such, uh, 
a great summer forage for those deer. So I'm going to have food. I'm just maybe not going to have that delicacy, that large smorgasbord that the bucks will go to at night and that the doe groups try to bet around and live by in the summer months. And then come fall, when I start having the only food in the area because the soybeans are coming out, the corn's getting picked, and I've got the sweet greens, I've got the greens, I've got the good stuff. That's what I'm going to design. But the, the frustration aspect of it is planning and trying to make that decision. You know what? Sometimes it's all by trial and error. You know, I've, you learn your properties more every single year. You know, Pops has been working the, the homestead property ever since I was like 18 years old. You know, here we are like 12, 14 years later. And we're still tweaking it. He's still doing things differently. And, you know, every single year seems to be slightly different. And we try to always track that and figure out, okay, why why was it this way this year? Why were the bucks hitting it at this time of the year when in the past they hadn't? What were we offering? What had changed? Not just what we were offering, but what was happening in nature. Was it a really wet year? Was it a really dry year? Um, and it's tough to predict those things. And that's why planning now is frustrating because Mother Nature could throw just throw it all up into your face and say no it's not happening this year um, a lot of farmers i have a farming buddy uh here in northern the northwest part of indiana you know he's usually 70 80 percent done and he's not even a fraction of that now because of the water table the water is just so high he can't get his fields planted so uh, planning food plots for the year is definitely a frustration um, it's an exciting thing don't get me wrong you know, that would make the list of the most exciting things of the spring as well. So uh, everything kind of has a double-edged sword when it comes to habitat work, but that's number three. Number four is, and it touches on, I touched on it a little bit in three, but now is when we do a lot of our habitat work. And I think oftentimes a lot of us can get ahead of ourselves. We don't set and pause we don't pump the brakes instead we man we shove that pedal to the metal and we we floor it and then we regret and we realize we needed to make a turn about two miles back so the short-term versus long-term frustration a good example of this is you know sometimes clients or even myself actually me and pops are a good example on the homestead property when we first got into this habitat thing, didn't have anywhere near the knowledge that we have now. We just knew we got to get sunlight to the ground. We, we, we got to get stuff growing because you could literally walk into the homestead property and you'd be on one end of the property and you could see through all nine acres of it. You, you, you could have you launched an arrow 180, 220 yards at the right angle and you wouldn't have hit anything. I mean, it, it just was a park effect. So what do we do? We start firing up the chainsaw. No rhyme or reason. Just just go into town. And then we quickly we quickly learned that you gotta have a little bit of a plan. You gotta start forming it in your head as you're hinge cutting trees over, as you're cutting trees over. And we didn't even know what hinging really was at that point. Um, we accomplished it in some cases, but we were basically just fallen trees and such, and we weren't thinking about arteries and 
just how deer like to move and those are things that we've learned and how they prefer certain bedding sizes and you know slip trails and, and entrance and exit points needed to be thought of we didn't think about any of that we just knew we wanted to get trees out of the way so then the next three to five years were spent cutting holes cutting openings trying to sculpt it and say and you know what now the deer use it i mean it, it's it, it worked it's just if we had thought a little bit more ironed it out i know we wouldn't have wasted as much time we could have got to where we were going much quicker sorry something's having some audio issues hopefully that didn't come through too much but anyways if we had just thought we could have done so much more so much faster but we wanted to get it done all in that one year instead of making an educated approach to everything uh, another good example from a personal sense is so when I bought the new 22 there's sections of it that need to be logged um, they're just mature timber there's nothing you know from like like I like to say from the hooves to the head so the the zone that the deer utilize there's nothing for them it's not giving them anything it's anything but good deer habitat so I need to get it logged well I I like I like to utilize a, a local Amish logger that my my dad used and for two years now he hasn't been able to make it out because he was supposed to come out 2017 then he was supposed to come out this last year didn't happen so I'm probably gonna go about this differently this next year contact from some different people but I say all that to illustrate the fact that I've wanted to hinge cut certain areas I've wanted to go in and start sculpting uh, hinge cut corridors kind of bumping steering tactics uh, as well as even some property line hinging but I can't until I get those big trees out because if I went in there right now and started hinging a ton and then the logger could come out now all those hinges are either going to have to be cut, broke, or worked around somehow, and it might actually eliminate the harvest of some timber. So you got to think these things through. Um, you know, I've actually started considering planting more trees in certain areas, but I've always got to keep in the back of my mind, well, we're going to have to drag trees out of there, so we got to make sure we leave corridors here. So this edge of this field where I'd like to plant a bunch of uh, pear trees or, or, or persimmon trees or chestnut trees, I, I'm, I'm going to have to hold off. i gotta, I got to think this through and go somewhere else because that's going to be the dragging corridor for the skidster getting trees in and out. Um, or another example is you'll actually see this in the upcoming uh, video from embrace the journey of this season i know it's may and i'm just now releasing one but it's been crazy uh you'll actually see there I, I discuss an area that when we first bought the property we went in there and we brush hogged and we actually even planted this into some cereal grains the first year so it was like another food plot area and i quickly realized and regretted it because I, I i it wasn't i had enough food i didn't need more food and i know some people if they actually knew the acreage that I'm offering in food, which is less than four acres probably total. Um, it actually probably does add up because I plant a lot of my corridors, a lot of my trails and clover and such, but I didn't need this section of, of, of food. 
and it was actually it, it butted up to a a sapling dense high stem count bedding area that then actually on well that was to the north of it and then to the to the west of it was the edge along the the pond that they love to bed in it's about you know anywhere from 10 to 30 yards wide at times and it's just thick understory and and, and just growth nasty stuff that they like to tuck up and in because they got the food next to them and then they can keep a lookout on the on the food and then to the south of it is kind of a grassy fallow field with saplings growing up in it that they love to bed in and to the east is a dividing row of uh a blockade into the food plots that you can't see through a bunch of uh wild black raspberry bushes four to seven feet high and thick so this was a great area that if i would have just left it the deer were going to start bedding in it but it had some sycamore uh saplings in it had some of those pear saplings in it had a few oak trees that i actually left um but this last year i went in and decided not to mow it not to do anything so this last year i started i actually disked it a little bit to disturb the soil i wanted to get just weeds and growth and stuff to start popping back up and I went in and I hinged over a lot of those trees in that area to try to form structure um, to give that area some structural cover that it didn't have before. It was just an open fallow field with some saplings that used to be planted. And so, you know, low growth, nothing higher than your knees. So, it, again, it was a void area. But in one year's time and adding that structure, I had deer bedding out in it. I, I, jumped, uh, I jumped two deer in one day out of there and I've jumped deer out of there in days since this past weekend I actually went out there hinged over a few more of those pear trees added more structure the weeds are starting to get thicker I've got clover just along the edge of that so the deer literally can get up walk 10 yards they're in clover still in cover they're not out in the food plots and they feel safe and you know what I could have had all that in the short term I thought I needed food too fast. I didn't think. I didn't I didn't think it through. So I could have had what I have now in 2016, which is preferred, but in 2016 I thought I needed food. I fell victim to the food plots or everything craze. And uh I re- I, I hate to admit that cuz I'm the one that's been preaching for years and years and years it, it's it's not all about food plots, but hey, I did. So the short term got me when I should have been thinking long term. So you got to learn to pump the brakes a little bit instead of always pedal to the metal. So we're, we're closing in on 30 minutes here. So I'd like to kind of discuss one final thing. And uh, every podcast, I'm going to try to think of a, a listener question or a follower question that I've received. And you know what? This is one that I get a lot, um, whether it be through a consult, whether it be through Facebook or social media or a forum. This question comes up all the time. So somebody's cleared an area. So this area was was not open. It was not plantable the year prior. There was probably either trees or saplings or something of that nature. Um, and, and you know what? A lot of the times, because they cleared it, it was probably the easiest spot to clear. So there wasn't a lot of understory. So it could have been uh, evergreen, thicket, or uh, spruce trees. Anything and everything is possible. But let's say this spot, what should I do, Ty? What are your uh, techniques? What is your advice to getting a food plot really going and getting lush and, and, and getting that getting that spot good? Well, let's assume you've taken a soil test. And because it's a brand new spot, 
let's assume, because it's typically going to come back as the soil's not in good shape. It's less than desirable. pH, phosphorus, organic matter, everything. It's just it, it's a it's a subpar soil test result. So the first thing I'm going to do is I want to start building that soil up. I'm going to start amending that soil with, with, with lime. I'm going to listen to my soil tests. I'm going to talk to somebody um, or, or go through uh, a company that gives you recommendations on you know tonnage or look it up. All that stuff is online. If you do just a little bit of searching, you can find a resource on what you need to do to amend that soil. I don't, I'm not going to go into that this episode. So let's assume you're doing that. But everybody then wants to know, well, what are you gonna, what do you want to plant? What, what, should, what should I, what food plot seeds should I throw down? Well, you know what? That first spring, I'm planting buckwheat. Buckwheat is very tolerant of subpar soil. Deer do browse it. Is it as preferred as you know summer forages like maybe cow peas or or uh, soybeans or lab lab? No, but the deer do eat it. But the awesome thing about buckwheat, and also the pollinators love it. The bees love this stuff. Especially, man, when that stuff goes to flower, the bees will be everywhere. And if you've got fruit trees on your property, encouraging bee activity is the number one best thing you could do for those trees. Besides protect them maybe with a fence and such. But bees are so crucial to the overall health of your habitat. And you know what? Buckwheat plays a tremendous role in encouraging them to be there. Bees love it. Um, so that first spring I'm planting buckwheat and then that fall I'm tilling that buckwheat in tilling or disking that buckwheat in it's going to add a ton of nutrients into the soil it's going to add organic matter it is a great green manure as some people call it to build that soil up that fall I'm going cereal grains I'm going to go heavy in cereal rye because I prefer that over wheat notes and there's a few reasons as I'm trying to build the soil uh, winter rye has a natural, uh, it's like a natural weed inhibitor. It doesn't allow uh, some plants to grow. It, it, it lessens the risk. Now, it doesn't eliminate it. It's not a herbicide, but it does. It has, I forget what it's called. I forget the actual trait of it, but it inhibits some, some, it inhibits some of its own competition, if you will. But I'm going to go heavy rye. I'm going to mix wheat in if I want. I'm going to mix oats in if I want. The oats will pretty much grow everywhere. They're not cold hardy. I don't care what any company says. If you live where I do or up north farther, I live in northern Indiana, um, I've not had oats really live through the winter um, and come back up the next year. It's just, they just don't. Um, typically, the oats will start turning when it's been freezing temperatures for a while. But oftentimes, I don't plant oats in a, in a large area to the point where I still have oats entering the winter anyways um most of the time I like my oats because the deer really love those fresh oat oat shoots I plant oats in strips along uh kill plots if you want to call them that or micro plots I actually shot Cicero last year with a mouthful of oats he was he was head deep in those things right along the edge I just had a six foot strip it's about 30 yards long and I had thrown real heavy oats down. I'll plant corridors in it as well. Um, but for this, establishing this new food plot, I'm going to go heavy rye because it's going to inhibit you know, competition, like I said. It'll, it stays green well into the winter, and it's one of the first things to green up the next spring. So that means in the spring, you disc that, that wheat and that rye that's sprung back up. It's, a, it's, it's 
shouldn't be too weedy, but it, you know you can always do selective herbicides if it is pretty weedy. I'm going to plant buckwheat again that second spring for the same reasons. Now you could throw in some cowpeas or maybe some lab lab or whatever you want, but I wouldn't go crazy with it. You're still trying to build this soil, but I think cowpeas pair well with it. They'll climb them a little bit. And then in the that, that second fall, I'm going cereal grain again, but I'm going to add half the recommended rate of a good solid clover um, or clover chicory mix. That means you've actually read the seed tag. That means you haven't just blindly listened to a pro staff. You're not just blindly using a product because they sponsor you or they gave you money or you got it for free. Um, do some research. Look into it. I'm not going to even mention a brand. Even though you all know I'm connected to one, I believe in it. Um, but I'm not going to mention it because I, I, I don't play that way. So that fall, I'm going to do that. And then the next year... In late winter or very early spring, when the, when the temperatures are still getting below freezing at night and then rising above it during the day, I'm going to frost seed another heavy dose of clover or clover chicory mix. Um, if, the, if the normal rate that they recommend is 8 pounds an acre, I'm going to use 4 that fall previous, and then I'm going to use about 6 in my frost seeding. Um, I'd rather have really good germination than, than go too thin. I've never had a problem overseeding my clover, to be honest. Um, and then that's it. That third spring, it's going to spring up. Oh, I forgot to mention. So the, the, the second fall, when you plant the cereal grains with the clover, that's going to act as a nurse crop for that clover. And then after you frost seed, temperatures start rising. You start seeing the clover germinate. You see the rye coming back up. Eventually the rye and the cereal grains that are coming back up in the spring from a distance, you're, you're just going to see those just nice and tall. And then as you get closer and you start walking near it and those, those, uh, the rye is about ready to seed out or head out. You're going to notice if you push it aside or you look down, there's just a layer of clover growing in the understory. About that time when the, when the rye grain is about ready to head out and you're going to mow it, that's a perfect time to clip it, mow it. You might get some volunteer cereal grain to pop back up through the clover, but then what you have left is a lush understory of clover. And typically, I've never had trouble with the thatch. I know some people have said if their rye grain gets too big and too thick, when you mow, you may have to rake it so the clover has something to grow through. But I've never had a huge issue. I think that thatch you know, eliminates a little bit of weed competition as well, and the clover seems to be able to wiggle its way up better than some other things. But then that's it. By that third spring, I now have a lush clover, possibly clover chicory, if you if you mix chicory in with it as well. Chicory does frost seed, in my experience, pretty well. And then that fall, you're going to make a decision. At this point, you've been soil testing every year. Didn't mention that. At that point, you either have a really good clover chicory plot that's going to stand up to the test of time for probably three to five years if you take good care of it. Or, <coughs> excuse me, or you can now switch over and maybe either disc up some strips in it, plant some brassicas, or you can just overhaul the entire food plot, disc up and kill that clover. And now once that happens, all that nitrogen that it's fixed in the soil is going to be released. Because see, a living clover plant does not release any of that nitrogen that it fixes. It uses it, but it stores it. So that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand or don't realize or don't know. But that's what I would do. That's that's my kind of go-to for 
new food plot. It, it, it may seem long-term, but we're going back to number four, and that's why I led into this final discussion was when you're designing that food plot and you're implementing it, don't try to do everything in the short term. Think long term. Build the most healthy soil you can. Disturb it as little as possible in between seedings. Build that organic matter up. You know, integrate that lime into the soil. Get the pH where it needed to be. And keep your expectations realistic. I'm going to do a whole podcast, I think, on that because I think that's something that a lot of hunters, a lot of habitat managers need to realize, and that is just realistic expectations. But I've rambled on long enough. You've probably been driving into work. Hopefully this was at least uh, entertaining enough. It spurred some thoughts in your mind, gave you some direction, um, and just just was uh, worth listening to, I guess is what I'm looking to say. You know, Maybe it beat while you were sitting at work, you were able to put in your headphones and listen to this instead of putting up with Janice who sits in the cubicle over or wherever you work. But uh, this is Ty. I got nothing else for this episode. Be sure to tune in next time on the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, and uh, we'll go from there. As always, guys, God bless. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.